everybody. Welcome to the Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Thank you for joining us for another episode here on the set. Uh, make sure that no matter where you are following us at on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, that you like, follow, subscribe, uh, even comment so that you don't miss any episodes here at Studio B. And remember, wherever you access your podcast from, we are on and available on those particular platforms as well. Apple, Spotify, uh, Pandora, Google, wherever you access your podcast from, we could be found on those same platforms. So make sure that you subscribe uh, via that way as well. Uh, so everybody, uh, this is 2021, January the 11th. 2021. We are a week and a half into the brand new year. Uh, God is good, and I pray that you've been doing well, um, that you've been adjusting well in this new year, and that you have a positive outlook for this new year. Um, this is going to be a phenomenal year, a great year, a year of prosperity, a year of advancement, a year of spiritual growth and development. It's just going to be a great year all the way around. Uh, 2020 for me, as I said last week on the podcast, man, it was a great year. Uh, COVID-19 notwithstanding, it was a great year for me and my family. And uh, um, a lot of people around me, actually, 2020 was a roller coaster of a ride up and down, highs and lows. But it was a good year overall. Um, but one of the things that I've kind of looked at as I looked over 2020 and kind of looking into the forecast of 2021 and what this year will look like for me, I really want to deepen my spiritual relationship with God. And so I am trying to uh, cross T's and dot I's and go in a direction in which I believe uh, God has called for us to go in. And a few podcasts ago, I talked about um, a very important subject that is dear to my heart, and that is why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe um, in Christianity? Why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you believe in Jesus? And I have been thinking about that ever since we did that podcast a few weeks ago, got some great responses from it, um, some great feedback from it. And so I wanted to kind of curtail that into this um, particular podcast on today, because I think it's important that we understand the role of the church and why we believe what we believe. I want to kind of give you something here, man, and, and I want to preface this. I want to qualify this um, with this statement. I believe the Bible to be true. I believe that the Bible is inerrant. I believe that the Bible is inspired of God. I believe that it was given to over 40 writers over 1,500 years and given to us the holy and inspired word of God by which we possess in the 66 books of canon um, from Genesis to Revelation. I do believe that the Bible is inspired by God. I believe the Bible because it is a collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report to us supernatural events that took place in accordance with specific prophecies that prove that the Bible is divine rather than human in origin. But there are a lot of people who line the, the pews of churches every single Sunday there are lines of people who have multiple copies of the Bible. We talked about that there are over 500 billion uh, prints of copy in circulation right now from the time um, that it was first printed. So people have a plethora of Bibles. But my question to Christians, and this is to those who claim to be Christians, is why do you believe it? And I wonder if we really dug into the weeds of the Bible and really talked about some of those core concepts that uh, define us to be Christians. 
one of the things that is never talked about is the exclusivity of Christianity. Christianity is not an inclusive religion. It's an exclusive religion. So as a Christian, why do you believe it? Uh, have you really staked your entire life, your your family, your existence, your and, and even more importantly, your eternity on this particular book? When I look at the Bible, especially in the uh, book of Acts, when you're talking about the first century church, I look at these men who um, the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse number six, that these are the men that turned the world upside down. Uh, these are the men, the, 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 the 12, um, after Jesus had given his, uh, after Jesus had ascended them to heaven, uh, he gave those men power and he said, wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Came to him in Acts chapter number two. It appeared to them as tongues of fire. They went out and evangelized the world. But the Bible says that these are the men that turned the world upside down. They had a deep core conviction about the things of God. And as I look at the modern day church right now, the Western church I'm talking about specifically here, um, the Western church is a watered down version of the first century church. And what we have done is become so socially and politically correct in our messages that we have watered down the truth of the gospel because we're trying so hard to be relevant in a godless society that we have forfeited the power of our witness. And so now the, the church, which is supposed to have the truth of God, which is supposed to be the indelible, the infallible word of God coming from God's own lips um, and communicated to God's own people. That word is now being watered down so much that you can't tell a Christian from a non-Christian. And so Paul talks about it like this. He says, in the last days, men are going to turn their ear from the truth and they're going to gather upon themselves teachers having itchy ears. And so I feel like right now, as we're looking at the state of the world and coming off of 2020, when we had all of this melee and people were talking about this and people were talking about that, I'm trying to provide a different perspective. I'm trying to get the people of God to keep their minds on eternal things. So what does that mean? Eternal things are what the uh, are what will never pass away. Here's what the Bible says about that. When we are talking about the the things of the Lord, we have to have an internal conviction about those things. And Jesus said it like this: If you love me, then do what I say do. But everybody, we're living right now in this culturally correct world where we have to. Um, be mindful that we're not offending people. Now the truth is no longer relevant. Isaiah chapter five, verse 20 says, woe to the man who calls evil good and good evil. And that's where we're at right now. We're at right now to where the truth has become more relative um, and, become, and become more subjective uh, in the minds of the people. But I want to put this thought on your head very quickly. Everything outside of eternity comes to an end. Everything, everything outside of eternity comes to an end. Eventually the new will become old. Eventually the new car will break down. Eventually the new house will need repairs. Everything outside of eternity will come to an end. Nothing in this life is perpetual. Nothing, nothing lasts forever in this life. It is when we leave this life and enter into the eternal, that is the beginning with no end. There is nothing perpetual about the world in which we live in right now. 
And I say that because of this. If you are familiar with end times and what the Bible calls uh, talks about in the end times, these are the things that will start to happen in the end times. These are events. These are things that will point us to the to the consummation of, of, of events and the consummation of time throughout the channels of God's history. And so when you're looking at the things that go on in the world and the things in which we are placing all of our hope, our trust, and our minds in, those things will eventually come to an end. Now, what does that mean? Um, now that we have a new president that'll be elected or that'll be inaugurated in a couple of weeks, people think, oh man, now it's all pie in the sky. We have placed all of our trust, our hope, uh, our assurance into man-made things. And if you know anything about man, Everything he touches, he destroys. If you know anything about man throughout the channels of history, whatever is good and man got a hold to, he eventually destroyed. But now here we are in a time to where we can no longer tell the truth about things that need to be told the truth on. Truth is not a subjective reality. It's not something that I can pick and choose according to my own likings. It's something that I must do. It's something that has to be measured outside of whatever circumstance that I happen uh, that I happen to be in. And so now in the church, here's what we're doing. We are watering down God's word because the era, the culture stipulates I will not tolerate truth. I'm about to make a couple of people mad, but it's okay because God is good and God is for me. And if God be for me, it's more than the entire world against me. Let me just tell you a truth that is not just a biblical truth, but a natural truth. A man can't be a woman and a woman can't be a man. You have no say so in the gender that you are that, that that you were born with. If you were born a female at the time of birth, that's what you will be until the time that you die. If a man is pregnant, then that man is a woman. I got some news for you. You can't all of a sudden change your identity. And there should not be any type of affiliation nor uh, um, um, things that we put in place to try to console those who are having gender dysphoria issues. You can't be a man if you are a woman. You can't be a woman if you are a man. Those two things are set in stone. That's how the world is. Yesterday, uh, I say that because yesterday was a very odd day. Um. Uh, last week, excuse me, Representative Emmanuel Cleaver, um, a Democrat um, who is an ordained Methodist minister, opened up the first session of the 117th uh, Congress on Sunday. And he prayed in the name of a Hindu god, Brahma. That's not even where it, it gets weird. As he ends his prayer, this man, as he ends his prayer, he says, a man and a woman. He ends his prayer with a man and a woman because he did not, he did not want to offend a certain gender by saying a man. And so his response to saying a, 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 a man was to also say a woman because he did not want to offend a certain gender group by saying a man. Now, here's the problem with that. 
Not only is this man a representative standing in the halls of Congress on the 117th Congress as they are sworn in, but this is a Methodist pastor that has been pastoring from 1972 all the way up into 2009. So this is a minister that calls himself a pastor that is absolutely absolutely destroying the word of God by talking about a woman. There's no such thing as an a woman. A man is not a gender specific term. A man just simply means so be it. I agree. When somebody says a man in the church, when somebody says a man in a conversation, they're simply saying, I agree. So be it. A man is not a gender specific term, but here it is. This pastor stands up in the halls of Congress to invoke a prayer on the 117th Congress. And he says, a man and a woman as not as not to offend a particular gender. It doesn't. Now, watch this. If that was where it ended, that would be one thing. But he prayed in the name of Brahma. If you don't know who Brahma is, Brahma is a four-faced Hindu deity who was born in a golden egg, created, and he supposedly created the earth. He prayed, now hear this, a Methodist pastor prayed in the name of a Hindu god. Because when you're praying in the halls of Congress, the last name that you're going to pray in is the name of Jesus. And so this pastor, this pastor Praise in the name of a Hindu God says a man and a woman as not to offend any particular gender. This is where we are. This is where we are. There was once a point of time where we could agree on very basic principles in life. There was once a point of time. Now you got your own lifestyle. You can do what you want to do. That's fine. It's your life. YOLO. You live it once you live it. However you want to live it. That's on you. But that was at a point in time in our lives to where we could at least have some consistency on the basic elements of life. Now these lines have been so skewed as you can't tell one from another. And I believe everybody, please hear this. When you're looking at America right now, and I'm talking about America uh, because I'm in America, I'm looking at America not from the lens of a social perspective. I'm not looking at America from the lens of a political perspective. I'm looking at America and even more wholly the world through a biblical perspective, a spiritual perspective. And even more so, when I begin to start to hone that down, I got to start to look at the church because Matthew chapter number five, he says to the church, you are the salt and the light of the earth. You, that being the church, are the salt and the light of the earth. But then he says, if salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be trampled under the foot of men. He says, no man lights a lamp and then puts it up under a bed, but he puts it on a hill for everybody to see. And so God has given the church, the church, the keys to the kingdom, not 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, not the state house, uh, not city hall, not any of those government capacities. He's given the keys to the kingdom to the church. That's what he's done. And so if you want to look at where we are going right now in the world, don't aim your eyes toward the political Democrat, Republican, independent or whoever it may be. Don't look about who's in the White House, who's in the state house, who's in City Hall. Look at what is the church tolerating? Because here's what it says. This is important, everybody. Man, listen to this is important. The church is now sanctioning that which the world does. 
And so here's what the, the Bible says. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. But everybody, this is a very difficult thing to do because shouting hallelujah on Sunday is one thing. Living out the word of God in a world that does not believe what you believe. And as a matter of fact, not just don't believe it. They will persecute you to the hilt because you don't roll like they do. Have you ever noticed that Christianity is the only religion that they seriously persecute? Have you ever realized that every other religion can do what they want to do? Can I tell you something that Islam also affirms that same sex marriages is immoral? But you see no smoke going toward Islam. Christianity is the only religion, is the only faith that is persecuted at the levels that it is persecuted at. And that's what you got to ask yourself a question. Why? And everybody, we can sit and we can sing the, the praise and worship songs. We can come together and sing Kumbaya on Sunday. We can have powerful worship experiences when we come into our churches and into our little small groups. But the rubber meets the road when we go out into the world. That's where it counts on how to be on, on being a Christian. And here's what Jesus said. He said, the world is going to hate you because you belong to me. So I got some news for you. If the world likes you, you're not walking in the will of God. If the world can high five you, pat you on your back, if the world can say that you're doing a good job, if the world has no problems with you, you are not on Christ's side. Because in order to be in this world, we oppose the things in which God opposes. And let me just share something with you, everybody. I believe that one of the greatest existential threats that is uh, facing not only America, but the church as a whole is the degradation of the family unit. I believe that the attack on the family is one of the core things that the enemy is using in order to break down this society, because at the base of every society is family. And if you are an historian like I am and you love history, a simple search, a simple search through history will take you to the great Roman Empire, the great uh, Greco uh, Empire, the Persian Empire, and you will see the destruction and the fall of those empires start in the home. When the family unit is attacked and crumbled, the society as a whole begins to fall apart. And I want you to think about what's going on with the family unit. The traditional family unit, a man and a woman, a boy and a girl, a husband and a wife. The traditional family unit is now being attacked from every single side. Congress just put forth the proposition uh, last week that they're going to take away gender specific nouns. So as opposed to saying a mother or a father, they will simply replace those gender specific roles with parent. As opposed to saying a brother or sister, they will simply say sibling. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about that now gender specific pronouns are outlawed. They are off the table. I can't call him a him and I can't call she a she because gender specific nouns are now being attacked because it goes against the cultural norm. And if the church is sanctioning these things, if the, if the church is putting a hand of affirmation on these things, then we will see mass melee in the land. Can I just share with you real quick, and I'll just go over here and I'll come right back. One of the reasons that slavery was able to prosper the way that it did is because pastors got up in pulpits and put their hand of approval on slavery. 
They misquoted scriptures. They twisted it back and forth. They did all of this uh, spiritual wrangling in order to affirm the evil practices of slavery. God never, ever, ever affirmed slavery. But one of the ways that it was able to prosper in America was that pastors got behind pulpits and they began to affirm by twisting the scriptures to make slavery seem like it was something accessible or uh, acceptable in their particular day. When the church put their hand on it, the world ran with it. Because the church is the last line of defense. So when the church does not affirm that marriage is between a natural born man and a natural born woman, and that's how God prescribed it, it has nothing to do with me being offensive. It has nothing to do with me not considering your feelings. The fact of the matter is, is that marriage has always been between a natural born man and a natural born woman. And when you begin to start redefining roles, when you begin to start having these things change because you don't like them, you start to get into a world of trouble. Now, when you have the church who is supposed to be the salt and the light of the earth, who is supposed to stand on the side of truth and have truth as its advocate, when we are sanctioning the things in which God opposes, then we become a partner to the world. And this is where it becomes very, very dangerous. First John chapter two, verse 15 and 18. This is a very, very powerful scripture. It says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Now, when I start talking about the world passing away, when I start talking about end times, people eyebrows begin to get raised and they'll say stuff like passing, you know, just dial it back. Man, it ain't that serious. My goodness, just kind of lighten up a bit. You know, Peter talks about that. We've been hearing this end of the world stuff for a long time and yet things go as they have. I get that. But there is this thing called eschatology. It is the study of last things. And as I said, everything outside of eternity eventually comes to an end. Everything. Nothing lives in perpetual um, in, in a perpetual state. John says here, you do not love the things of the world. And here's one of the things that is very, very intimidating about being a Christian. When you look at the things in which you have to stand on, we look at the Bible and we go through the Bible like a buffet line. We'll, we'll pick out, man, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Man, I like that. I like that. Man, I really like that. God will give you the desires of your heart. Man, I really like that. I like that. If I pray anything according to his will, he's going to give it to me. Man, I like that. I like that. Man, if I just love him with all of my heart. Man, I like that. I like that. So we go through the Bible like a buffet line, picking out the verses and themes that we want to incorporate into our life. But the Bible is not a buffet line. Either you take all of it or you take none of it. And as Christians, as Christians, as people who say, I believe the word of God. Just know that when you take a stance like that in this world, you are going to be persecuted. You're going to be ridiculed. You will be hated because of the beliefs that you hold dear to your heart. The problem with that is that some of that hate, a lot of that hate can come from people that you're very close to, 
close friends, associates. Here's the kicker, your family. And so when you take a stance as a Christian, just know that you are a salmon swimming upstream. You are not going along with the culture. You're not going along with what thus saith the world. You're trying to go with what thus saith the Lord. And so it's very intimidating for a Christian who doesn't have firm roots to stand against a system that is so strong like the world. It is very, 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 very difficult. If you're a Christian that don't have firm roots, if you're a Christian that is not uh, um, solidified in your faith, you're going to have very difficult times trying to stand up against a world that is constantly, constantly, constantly pressing against you. And everybody, as you're looking at what's going on right now in this world and the culmination of what I believe in this world, I will say it as I've said it before. I do believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again. The second advent of Christ is at hand. I do believe that um, we are um, marching to an event to where we will hear the trumpet sound. I believe that the word of God is true in that regard. And so what we're trying to do right now in this war and in, in what I'm personally trying to do is trying to get people ready for the soon return of Jesus Christ. So that means that I got to keep the main thing, the main thing. Now, let me just share something with you very, very quickly. Um, last year, uh, I, I made a decision in my heart that um, I am so tired uh, of being politically correct for the sake of being politically correct. Um, Christianity is a faith that requires the ruffling of feathers. So much so that if you go back and look through antiquity and you look at the people that follow Jesus, all with the exception of John the Baptist, who died at an old age, all of the other apostles that follow Christ, all of them died a martyr's death. All of them died a martyr's death, all with the exception of John. So why would they die a martyr's death? There had to be a lot of hostility for someone to die a martyr's death. You know, there is a saying there. There's a scripture that we always read. You typically hear them in funerals when Paul says, I'm ready. To be poured out as a drink offering, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. You often hear that particular verse um, recited at funerals, an appropriate verse for some, not not for all, but I can understand it. But when you look at the context of that particular verse, you know that Paul is getting ready to get his head cut off. Um, Nero is about to execute Paul, not because Paul is some criminal, not because he's a murderer, not because he's terrorizing the world. He's getting ready to die because of the preaching of the gospel. We know that Paul was in prison twice. Uh, we get four of the prison epistles from two of his prison stints. And in both of those prison stints, Paul was in prison, not because he stole something, not because he robbed a bank, not because he did anyone harm. He was in prison because he was preaching the gospel. I know it may be strange to say this, but I believe that religious persecution is coming to America. I believe that religious persecution is coming to America. If you look at where we're at right now with 2000 and, uh, 2020 and all of the things that happened, I want you to think about all of your civil liberties that were trampled upon in the name of public health. 
Um, the First Amendment, the thing in which we hold true and dear to our hearts. I understand that America, upon its foundation, did not hold true to all of the creeds that were in those sacred documents. But I do believe that there was a building up to holding to those same truths. And so now these things that freedoms that we have enjoyed for years are now being attacked. I do believe that religious persecution is coming to America. I do not believe that America is exempt from religious persecution. There is coming a time in which the world will not tolerate truth. Now, America notwithstanding, if you go to a lot of places around the world right now, uh, Christianity is not only persecuted against, it is downright outlawed. And people would say, well, that could never happen in America. We are a land of freedoms. That could never happen here. Well, not, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about that. But if it does happen, if it does happen, then are you willing to believe this thing to the core of your being to where you are willing to lay down your life for it? I don't know if that's a question that many people want to answer um, in the modern day church. I, I don't know if our convictions run that deep. I don't know if we can get to a point to where we can say that in the very confines of our being when we understand the measure of what that means. Dying for something that I believe, not wavering, holding it into my last dying breath. I don't know if we're able to do that because I believe right now the church, the church of Jesus Christ, which is supposed to be the salt and the light of the earth, has in a lot of ways kowtowed to the world. And I've accepted a lot of the practices in the world. And I believe when you're looking at what God says to the church, um, it is very, very important for us to understand a few things. And I say this because um, everybody, as you look at what is going on, as you see what's happening on the landscape um, of the world, if it's not causing you to think deeply to examine some things in your life, to readjust, uh, to recalibrate, then you're missing what's going on. Um, as a church, as a person that believes God, I have to take some stances that are very, very unpopular. And it's not to be unpopular for the sake of being unpopular. So it goes against the cultural norm, like on Facebook, you look for, you know, the emoji thumbs up of the heart or the caring symbol, or, you know, you look to be affirmed by a post that you put on Facebook. You want people to like it. You know, if you go to Twitter, you're looking for likes and retweets. You know, when you put a post out there, you're looking for multiple people to like it because you want to be affirmed by those likes that you get on social media. And so you do things to gather approval. Well, the church, unfortunately, um, is that barrier when it comes to the things of the world. There are some things in which we cannot put our approval on. It's just... It's, it's not that we're being insensitive. It's not that we're being um, exclusive. It's not that we're being um, any of those things. It is just some things in this world that do not mesh with our beliefs. And so God talks about this um, when he talks about living in this world. 
and living in this world in such a way that we're able to stand in the evil day. And as I'm looking at what's going on through political landscapes, through social unrest and all of these other things that are happening, um, I ask myself a question. What is the church response in all of those issues? How is the church responding when the church is not only sanctioning, but marrying same sex couples in the pulpits of the churches? When we have gay pastors when we have pastors committing adultery at record levels and, and, and stealing money from over here and doing this over there, when the church has just become a social club for spiritual fat cats that have no power, we have become just like the world. And there is no difference. And so here's the one thing that I would ask um, to the people who are listening. This is not... Um, <clears throat> This is not anything that would, um, in my mind, uh, cause um, any type of um, despondent reaction to um, the times in which we're living in. But it is simply a question to have us examine how much we really believe this word and what are we willing to do? Um, One of the things that we had here in 2017 when we had Hurricane Harvey Uh, You'll even see this going all the way back uh, to Hurricane Katrina. Um, And I'll use Hurricane Katrina before I use Hurricane Harvey. One of the things that happened in New Orleans is that the levees broke. The thing that was supposed to hold the water out to keep the people safe broke. It failed. So the very barrier that they put around these particular neighborhoods that was supposed to keep the water out to keep the people safe broke. And when the levees broke, the things that the levees were keeping out all came pouring in. And that caused devastating damage. It destroyed homes. It destroyed lives. It killed families because the levees, the things that were supposed to protect, failed. In 2017, here in Houston, Texas, When Hurricane Harvey came and it was just creeping along the landscape, about two miles an hour, dumping torrential rain on every place that it touched. Waters were billowing out of the drains and floodwaters were going all the way up to 9, 10, 12, 15 feet, taking everything in its wake. And the levees begin to give in Attic's Reservoir. And they had to release it because the pressure was building on these levees, causing them to get ready to break. The church is the levee. And when the levee has broken, what is supposed to protect will then get devoured. We are the church, the salt and the light of the earth. We are that. We are the levee. But when we break, What's the other defense? When the levees broke in Katrina, what other defense did they have? Nothing. The levee was the defense. And so as we're trying to um, walk in our calling in a very sincere way, um, we have been called to call those things as God sees them. That's what we've been called to do. We know that, In 1 John 2, 
um, in John 15 and 18, here's what Jesus said. If the world hates you, just know that it hated me first. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I went to Israel, um, Israel gives a um, very, very unique perspective. And let me just say this to all the Christians out there. Um, one of the tenets of Islam is that they go and visit uh, Mecca um, at least one time in their uh, pilgrimage, um, at least take a pilgrimage to Mecca at least one time in their life. Um, I would say the same thing to those who are born again Christians that you need to at least at one point, uh, particular time in your life visit the land of Israel, walk the streets of Jerusalem, uh, go and walk in the paths of Christ. It will give you great perspective uh, on the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, but as I was in Israel this last time in 2018, I think it was maybe 2000, yeah, 2018, uh, when we was in Israel in 2018, we got to walk the, the path of Christ. And one of the things that um, I was thinking about very, very heavy when I was down there was why did the people, why did they hate Jesus the way that they did? And as I began to, you know, kind of meditate on that and ask God some questions about it, uh, I found that the people didn't hate Jesus. The establishment hated Jesus. The world system hated Jesus. The people by which he was giving miracles to and the people who said that he spoke as one, um, not like the scribes or the Sadducees, but as one having authority um, the people gathered around Christ because Christ was love. He he incorporated himself into their lives. But he came to um, bring harsh and swift judgment against the establishment. And one of the people or one of the people groups or several of the people groups, actually, that hated Jesus the way that they did were the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees. Uh, those were the religious uh, leaders of his day. That's what the world was. Right. These were people who loved to appear in the uh, synagogues in their long flowing robes and be introduced as high priest and sit on the pulpits and have their, you know, have everybody looking at them and and being treated in a certain kind of special way because they had a key to God that nobody else did. And it was those people that had the most problems with Jesus. Because that's the establishment that he came to overthrow. And as you're looking at right now, the role of the church, the role of the church, everybody, is to be the salt and light of the earth. But if we are in participation with the world, then how could we be in the world? How could we be the salt and the light if we're participating in acts of darkness? When you have pastors that affirm abortion and believe in it from a personal conviction, I'm not even talking about from a policy standpoint. I'm talking about they actually believe that abortion is okay. And I want you to think about right now in America, we have abortion laws on the books that can abort a baby all the way up until nine months. And we sign laws and we make legislation and nobody says anything. We are the salt in the light of the earth. 
I, I have said, um, and I took some heat when I said it, that I would have participated at a higher level um, if I would have seen Black Lives Matter protesting abortion clinics. Because that's where the greatest slaughter of black American youth is being done. Not in the streets, but in abortion clinics. And when we don't stand against that, when we don't say that the right to life is sacred, and listen, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. If you can't handle the results that come from a certain act, then don't do the act or at least protect yourself in the act so that you don't have to put yourself in that kind of position. But we are in a place right now to where we can no longer say the killing of a child is wrong. Now we're arguing about where does life begin? Does life begin at conception? Does life begin at the third trimester, the second trimester, the first trimester? I mean, when does life begin? Now we are relegated to talking about the fetus being just a blob and not being a human. This is where we are right now. And so as we're looking at the church, the church of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, the church that is supposed to be operating on truth, the church that has a standard, the church that believes in the core principles that God has founded upon, we are to be different. We are to be different. In John 18, um, Jesus says something. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. You know, as Christians, we are supposed to be pitching our tent. <laughs> we're supposed to be pitching our tent in the world. Uh, if you know anything about a tent, a tent is a temporary dwelling. Uh, but many people are not pitching their tent. They're building their houses. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom has nothing to do with this world system, this political affiliation, this this world, this cosmos. My kingdom is not of this world. So I'm not building an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. And if you think about where we're doing, where we're at right now, we're building kingdoms here. We're building kingdoms here. We're not pitching our tents. We're building our houses here. But Jesus uh, said clearly that my kingdom is not of this world. And so everybody, as we have um, gone through 2020 and we got all of this stuff on the horizon, we got more stuff coming up this year. I do believe that 2021 is going to bring some some other challenges uh, and things of that nature. Um, but I do believe that it is a time for the church to stand up, to stand up. Now, let me just go ahead and say it. Um, yes, we are operating in love. Love is at the core of my being. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Uh, I love you because God loves you. I love you because God loves you. But if I love you and I see you going in a direction that's ultimately going to end in your demise, it wouldn't be love if I didn't first warn you before getting to that point. Yes, love. Yes, love. We got to love everybody. And that's our charge. God has called us to love. God has called us to do that. But God has also given us an assignment as a church. Given us an assignment of, as a church 
to do the things in which he has said to do. John four, uh, John 16 and 33, here's what Jesus said. He said, I said these things to you that you may have peace because in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, being a Christian is going to be something that at times will be difficult, uh, will be a lot to handle, uh, will be some things that we have to do that will put us in very, very uh, uncomfortable positions. Those things are all true. When we have to stand on truth and stand all by ourselves and withstand the darts and the arrows of the enemy that he will be shooting our way. We will have to deal with the name calling. We will have to deal with the abandonment of people and friends. We will have to deal with all of those things that come along with standing on truth. And truth, my friend, is a very dangerous thing to stand on. But we believe that the Bible is true. We believe that it's true from Genesis to Revelation. We believe that the Bible is inerrant, that it is without error. We believe that. We believe that this is God's words to us. And so as we stand on the truth, we have to understand that things are not going to be as rosy as we wish that they would. Um, in 2020, where well, we had... Um, COVID racking havoc on the world um, and all of these things that were going on. We had COVID-19, we had political over here, social unrest over there, uh, people losing their jobs, a record number of Americans filing for unemployment. We had all of these things going on. And then you had a certain number of people that were deciding who was important and who was not. And the world said the church is not essential. The world said as they were determining who was important, what professions were important and which ones were not the world, the government, this world system said this, the church is not essential. That's what they said. They said the church is not essential. You must close your doors. You must do the protocols that we're asking everybody else to do. You are not essential. Medical personnel, in order to save somebody's life in the time and in the present, they are essential. But the people that can help people live for e forever in eternity, you are not. And I want you to think about this. As they said the church was not essential, the church had a lot to do with that decision. Because we have relegated our place to a place of comfort in this society where we are just part of the equation. We're just part of life. We've become a part of people's lives. Religion and, and, and faith is just a part of people's lives. It's nothing that's really important or dire to them. They can do without it. And so the world said to the church, you are a non-essential uh, part of our society. And I want you to think about that. Because that didn't just happen overnight. That came with the church sanctioning what the world said was true. And because we did not stand out, because we were not the salt in the light of the earth, the world said, well, we don't even need you. And countless churches closed their doors. 
to the tune of 2020, 32,000 churches closed their doors forever and they will never open again. 32,000 churches closed their doors forever, never to open them again. I want you to think about that. The church um, that has the truth of God, that has the Holy Spirit of God, that works in conjunction with God, um, was forced to do things outside of its calling. 2020 was that kind of year. Now, when you're talking about the church, I understand that the church, um, we have to place ourselves in positions that are not necessarily popular positions. We read John 14 and 6, <laughs> um, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, but he gives those three I am statements. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Christianity is not an inclusive religion. It's an exclusive religion. I had this conversation yesterday, and as I'm sharing with my dear sister um, this particular principle, uh, her eyes begin to get big um, because I told her that what Christianity is saying is that Christianity is right and every other religion is wrong. That's what Christianity is saying. Christianity is saying that uh, we're right and Islam is wrong. Christianity is saying we're right. Buddhism is wrong. Hinduism is wrong. Kabbalah is wrong. That's what we're saying. Now, when you say it in those terms, it's a whole different ballgame. We're not all the same religions trying to get to the top of the mountain to see the same God. There are not just many different paths to the afterlife. There's not the sweet by and by. That's not gaining um, uh, paradise with 70 virgins. There's not the reincarnation. There's not many different paths to the afterlife. And then Christianity is just one of those paths. Everybody can't be right. Somebody's got to be wrong. So when we stand up and we say John 14 and six, and we say, Jesus said, I'm the only way I'm the way I'm the life. I'm the truth. When we say that kind of stuff, here's what we are saying. In essence, Christianity is right. And everything else is wrong. Jesus. Now watch this. Here's another one. Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. He's the hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man. He's not a God. He's not a version of God. He's not God's best version. He is God in the flesh. So Christianity makes some very, very, very stringent claims that have no room for wiggle. It makes some very, very demanding claims. And when you start to believe those claims and you start to proclaim those claims, guess what? You're going to face persecution. It's going to happen. 
So I'm asking everybody, as you examine your spiritual life this year, ask yourself a question. Are you really committed to the things of the Lord? Are you really willing to say the things that you have to say in order to please God? Or are you rather more content with being a people pleaser? Do you want to go along with the culture? Not make any ways, kind of go alone to get along. Just leave me alone so that I can practice my religion, practice my faith in, 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 in the comfort of my own life and the comfort of my own family and the comfort of my own home. Well, um, of course you can. But I take you back again to Acts chapter 17, verse six. These are the men that turn the world upside down. I thank God for people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I thank God for people like Martin Luther King. And um, I thank God for people like Megan Evers. I thank God for people who took bold stances in the faces of severe persecution to stand and, and to honor what was right. Um, even at our church, um, because we didn't shut the doors, because we didn't do as everybody else was telling us to do, um, the darts were coming fast, heavy, and rapid. Um, they were coming with all veracity. Um, I thank God for our pastor, uh, Walt Hoggis Jr., and continue to keep him lifted up in prayer as he made some very bold decisions in the midst of all of the things that were going on uh, last year. And God has honored that. God has honored that. And God has prospered that. God has kept um, his hand um, on us. And so I believe that as Christians, we're going to, as this year progresses, as the years progress, um, and, and as life continues to go on, everybody, we're not going back to normal. What is normal? Tell me what was normal about getting on the plane post 2001. Nothing was normal about it. Pre 2001, you can get if you had a plane that left at if you had a flight that left at 10 o'clock, you could literally get to the airport at 930. Life changed after 2001 forever, and it's never going back to the same. So for those who are thinking that life is going to go back to normal and that we're going to go into this new norm. No, no. Uh, this, this normalcy. No, no, nothing's going back to normal. Normal has been redefined. And it will continue to be redefined. And so as the world continues to do what the world does, we in turn have to be the church. So I want to encourage you. You got to dig your roots deep. You got to plant your, your roots deep. You got to be like that, like that, that tree planted by the rivers of living water. You have to have your, 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 your roots run deep because if they're not, Man, this world is going to come after you, and when they come after you, they're going to knock you over. Because we have to stand on the side of truth that is not always convenient, that will oftentimes go contrary to what the world is saying. And so I want to encourage you to trust Jesus at a very deep level, at a deeper level. Uh, get out of religion and enter into a relationship. Get out of just crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Get out of just checking the box of going to church on Sunday and attending worship. Get out of those particular models of religion and enter into a relationship. Go and learn, know, find out about the person of Jesus Christ so that he can deepen your faith. Um, because everybody, you're going to need deep faith to go to where God has taken us. 
Uh, you're going to have to cast your nets. You're going to have to cast your net on the other side. And that's the side of the unknown uh, to go where God is taking us. So, everybody, I want to thank you. Uh, this year is going to be a phenomenal year for two, uh, for Studio B. Man, I got some phenomenal guests that's going to be on the podcast this year. Um, I, I am just so excited, man. Thank you for those who subscribe, those who watch. I need you to share. I need you to comment. I need you to go to whatever platform you access these things. So, And I want you to follow us because I'm going to give you my word, um, as Pastor Holman. I'm, I'm going to give you my word. Um Truth is not always convenient, but sometimes, not sometimes, truth needs to be told when truth needs to be told. And so one of the things about podcasts, uh, Studio B, the podcast, is that we're not going to kowtow. Uh, we're not going to go along with the world. When there's some things that need to be said, we're going to need we're going to say what needs to be said. And we're going to say it in such a way that the truth comes about and, and illuminates the situation so that God receives the glory. So, everybody, I want to thank you so, so very much, so, so very much. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you watch us for, like, subscribe, follow, comment, and then make sure you go to Spotify, you go to Pandora, you go to Apple Music, you go to Google, wherever you access your uh, podcast from, make sure you subscribe to us on those platforms as well. Thank you very much for joining us on the set of Studio B. May y'all have a great rest of the week. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.